This is the Push Shift Podcast, a broad look at the hospitality industry. Welcome to another episode of the Post Shift Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Sean Saul. This week, I'm getting to sit down with the very super talented, ridiculously knowledgeable, uh, must blender of uh, wisers, um, Dr. Don Livermore. Uh, probably one of my most ultimate like sit-downs is with this gentleman. He is a ridiculously knowledgeable gentleman about Canadian whiskey. Um, he's the mind, great mind behind Lot 40 and a whole schwack load of other things. We have a good chat, a bit, albeit quick. Uh, because of how busy he is for Whiskey Fest, but I really had an opportunity to sit down with him and pick his brain about where he came from, how he got to where he is now, and uh, how much he loves Canadian whiskey. So I hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Have a good weekend, and I will see you next week. Bye. And yeah. you sort of ease your way into Whiskey Fest, and you do a few uh, events and stuff. Like yesterday was right from about, I don't know, what we start about 10 in the morning, all the yeah. way to about midnight last night. Yeah. yeah. And so and I got two master classes today. Yeah, and so. this year I heard that, like, a lot of people came in on Friday morning, and they're leaving, like, Sunday morning. And so I was just, like, scrambling, like, after this, I'm going to go up to the Jim Beam uh, suite at Grand Pacific and just do a, again, rotating door of people coming to see down with me. Yeah. So, so with my podcast, I usually... I keep it like breeze sort of stuff like you introducing yourself and okay. sort of get into the, the nitty gritty and then yeah I just let you talk oh, okay basically that could be dangerous because at the end of the day it's like it's, it's more about like I want to see how you people I get people behind the brand and stuff like that like Chris shocked me yesterday when he was like yeah I, I was on the road with Backstreet Boys for three months in Canada I'm like what? Yeah. he's like yeah I was a production manager for Backstreet Boys I'm like, oh my gosh I didn't excuse, me, excuse me what? <laughs> and so I get, I get surprised as surprise is good. Right, so we probably get a hard stop. Uh, I'll just say ten forty-five, ten forty. Oh yeah, well, I usually give the episodes like half an hour. Okay, yeah, so perfect. You, yeah, it's perfect. People lose uh, concentration after half an hour. Yeah. So, um, how about yourself? By just introducing yourself. Okay. Um, I'm Dr. Don Livermore. I'm the master blender of the Hiram Walker Distillery. Uh, I've been at the distillery now 23 years. It's almost 24 next wow. month. And yeah, it's uh, 2012. Um, a little bit back in my history, my education. Uh, I got a degree in microbiology. That's how I started in the distillery. They hired me to look after yeast. I was the guy who looked at yeast cells for many years. And then uh, just, just as like any other master blender, you, you kind of do a lot of different jobs in the distillery. So I, I worked in the distillery, and then I worked in R&D, and then I worked as an analytical chemist, and uh, eventually you found your way up to the title as a master blender, so... And uh, the company's been great, great for me. As you know, I mean, uh, I uh, went to school, did my master's of science in brewing and distilling at Harriet Watt University, finished that in 2004, and then uh, I finished and completed my PhD in brewing and distilling uh, in 2012. How many people have PhDs in, in the PhD in the brewing and distilling? There's, there's a number of them that usually stick to beer, though, or oh, education, really? right? Okay. Very few of us get uh, get inside of the distilling side of it. I only know Bill Lumsden. As the other guy that has a PhD. What drew you to like? What drew you to Wise? What drew well? What drew you to Heron Walker? What drew you to Luck? Oh, really? Luck. I mean, I, I graduated as a microbiologist back in the '90s. But I did a lot of the biotechnology degrees and uh, rearranging DNA. I, I intended to make drugs for it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, a lot of your a lot of your antibiotics and things yeah. like that are made by our microorganisms and fermenting and yeah. stuff. And, and there was a real need for people. I interviewed at drug companies. 
Um, and uh, I just never could land a job. And then I had a friend say, hey, you know what? They're hiring a microbiologist at this whiskey distillery. Uh, why don't you apply? Applied and moved to Windsor, and, and I've stayed there for uh, almost 24 years now. Wow. So you, you just you gave up one drug for another. Yeah. Well, I got drugs, <laughs> alcohol. I got both covered, right? <laughs> so really just luck in the 24 years. Um, so how have you seen Canadian whiskey change in that like in that 24 years? Uh, I, I think we, a lot of it's probably now, like stuff like this, the social media and computer. When I started, there wasn't even a computer. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were doing handwritten notes and internal memos, and that, and they had a mailman going around our distillery. That's how they delivered things. And eventually, um, I think I think computers and transparency, like the previous blenders or uh, research and development people would never say a thing about your brand. It was all top secret. It was all secretive. Today, as you know, people are transparency. You're going to ask me what's the percentage of this and, and that later, I'm sure. Uh, but that's the way it, it has moved. I had a, a chance to do a um, speech in front of our, our entire company at Corby and, um, uh, at the Glen Levin. I had to do a retirement words for Alan Winchester. And uh, after 40 years of service as the master distiller, I said, Alan, could you imagine 40 years ago? You now have to tell people about what you're doing in a day on social media to the world. Uh, and he says, not really. And, and I said, it's, it's amazing how that's just changed in, in, the, in a period of 20 years. Yeah. And going from no computers to to this, it's it's really changing the dynamics. It's changing how, how we talk about alcohol. Before, it used to be the traditional journalists. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and and, it, and I, I'm going to be very curious in the next five to ten years how some things will float to the top and how things will go away and how it changes the dynamics of it's, it's interesting how everything's with, like that was in the, the early days of the internet because I, I remember I'm old enough I was in that age graph where we didn't I grew up without the computer at school or you had a computer room but you didn't have internet and then you like I remember having internet for the first time when I was like 22 years old and then sort of progressed from there and I talk to a lot of uh, journalists now like uh, Christine Zismondo uh, and Yep. Stephen Bowman and stuff like when they start their careers it's like okay well how'd you put your stories in it's like we type them out on a typewriter then we put them in an envelope and then we send them into the <laughs> to get the print I know and it's only been 10 years really when we've had Facebook Facebook's only 10 years old like, like that's it's incredible that something that we use on a daily basis like Twitter Facebook everything's a decade old yeah and I so the, to, to answer your question fully I think it's really information and education and how that's transmitted to our consumer, I think that's the biggest change I've actually seen. I know we've made advances, and there's certain advances I've done in our side of our own distilling stuff, but I mean, it is really done a 180 in terms of how we look at it as distiller. I still see people reluctant to talk about their products, and I'm I'm, I'm more on the transparency side uh, now, because that's consumers are demanding. They want to know where their food comes from. Yeah. Yes, whiskey's a food. Yeah. And I know you know, cocktails are a food. And, and uh, you're getting into caloric content and things like that now, but that's, uh, that more and more information and education is, is a platform uh, of us. Recording. And so you're, you're a bit of a historian when it comes to the distilling side, thanks to Heron Walker. Um, how nitty gritty do you get really into the, the, 
old recipes that you dug in out of the archives and well uh, I, I lucky did. enough that you're, you're at a distillery that's a hundred and something years old uh, and 160 okay. um, I, I'll tell you that the longest running uh, brand in Canada is Hiram Walker Special Old I'll go back and the oldest book I have for Hiram Walker I have the recipe to it in the eight, late 1880s showing he was making old rye whiskey wow um, the, the recipes changed over and over yeah. through the years just because of people's knowledge change equipment changes and things like that but Hiram Walker Special Old is the oldest running brand in Canada wow most people don't realize that and they always thought uh, another brand from uh, uh, was, was his long no it's Hiram Walker Special Old the oldest running brand and you could see what he was doing at that time period and I'll often say uh, from a historical point of view that Canadian whiskey was the first whiskey category to mandate a minimum aging requirement mm-hmm. prior to and that was in 1890 prior to that they would make a mash bill distillate and sell it with a, yeah. a lot like moonshine I think once the government mandated the aging regulations to us, that's where you start seeing blend. Because why would you blend if you knew you were going to distill it and sell it right away? When the force on the blend and then they had to account for the alcohol and account for the taxes, that's where you start seeing, well, it's, it's a certain percentage of rye and that's a certain percentage uh, of uh, double distilled light whiskey. It starts seeing recipes develop, I think, because of that, that regulatory change in the 1890s. Are there any recipes that you found in the archives and you're like, what the hell were they thinking? No, I actually, no. I, and the one of them is, is the 909 rule. Yeah. I think you're familiar with that. I know your audience is, for, just to recap it, that in Canadian whiskey, we're allowed to blend in 9.09% uh, wine or two-year-old other spirit. It can't, can't be, it's got to be aged spirit if you're going to put it in there, um, which is unusual. But the thing is, it allows versatility. And if you go back to Hiram Walker's original recipe book, I could see him putting prune wine and Jamaican rum inside of his recipes. Something that was always been done. Yeah. It is a blender's thing that they've always did inside of Canada. I always look at it's one more pink for my painter's palette. I know you make cocktails and you're adding a dashes of this and teaspoons of that or what the case may be. This is just one more thing. And today I use it in some brands, some I don't. And what, um, what's the reason behind it? Like, have you got any historical... Like, well, the history, they always did it. Yeah. And I, I actually, I don't know why he chose... He must have been making prune wine. Yeah. And I think certainly develops an interesting fruity flavor, yeah. as you can imagine. And I think he owned a Jamaican rum distillery. Interesting. And I think he was just trying to blend in nuances. Maybe he was trying to get rid of it. I, yeah. I don't know what the case may be, why they were doing it. But you could see them, and you could see the bar in the recipe where they would bring in cognacs and brandies and... And then, uh, the brand Union 52. And that's one I put a 52-year-old scotch. I can see them putting scotch yeah. in whiskey all the way along. Like in the historical archives of recipes of what they were doing, I thought it was quite ingenious. Who the hell would think to put in uh, you know, a highly peated scotch? And they were doing it. Wow. And people think it's novel today? No, they, they were doing it back back in the day. And well, sherry or any yeah. the usual suspects that go into with whiskey already. Sean, unbelievable. I opened up the recipe books even back in those 1880s. You can see them making car caramel color. Huh. I said, really? They knew how to do make caramel color? Oh, yeah. You can see them. They boil so much sugar down to a certain tincture, a certain color, and they were adding caramel coloring even back as early as the 1880s, which blows my mind that they were able to do that. Well, because me and Sol talk about a lot, because you know Sol from Pags, and he, uh, we, we get, we're lucky enough when we travel, we get to taste a lot of old spirits, and everybody sort of romances, like when you go to Canada and Seattle, everybody romances like 1890 American Rise. Yeah. Elbow and just one, and you're like, well, 
bourbon wasn't really bourbon until like the 1950s, and before that it was kind of. They, they did kind of, call they did call it bourbon. You can yeah. actually see all of that same recipe yeah. book I'm talking about. Hiram Walker was making a bourbon, and that day bourbon meant to be a mixed grain mash bill distilled in the Columstone. Yeah. That's and, really what the first bourbons we were we were making bourbons all the way to the year 2000s. Wow, we couldn't call it that, but in my recipe books we call it. Yep, this is the bourbon, and they, they just they were always making it. The bourbon was a mixed grain mash bill. And then, I guess America took the opportunity to really define it, mm-hmm. uh, and great for them. I mean, they commercialized what we think of as a bourbon today. But I love that, like, it, it seems like Canadian whiskey had more roots in actually being good whiskey to a degree than probably some of the American counterparts so they're in, in that era. I, I always say the Canadian whiskey pioneers, and it, I, I know you've sat in some of my seminars before, but probably some of the most innovative people, like they learned how to rectify stills. Mm-hmm. It was a novel technology. Oh, Abraham and Warks invented that in 1846, double distilling, making light whiskey. Because they were up and up when they were selling moonshine. To people. Yeah. people hate the taste of moonshine, even if it's still today. It's very raw, very rough, very aggressive. And they worked their ass off to try to make it lighter and smoother. That's why you see traditional whiskeys like a J.P. Weiser's Deluxe or a Crown Royal or Canadian Club or Gibson's. They tend to be lighter and smoother, but that's what our customers wanted. That's what people wanted back in 18. They didn't want the heavy, spicy, rough. Like, I know it's changing today. People's palates are changing, but... Uh, people want that light whiskey and I always say like a deluxe is traditional Canadian whiskey Weiser's deluxe and I think some people always forget the market and I talk about a reps about this a lot um, that while the more geeky stuff like even like 40 to a degree is very popular now but like you can't beat the, the entry level stuff that everybody makes is still the biggest seller like us in our little bubble of social like the social media bubble we're talking about like yeah. we all geek out about like the brand new Weiser's that comes out or the, yeah. the brand new you love 40 car strength but you're like yeah but you get into a liquor store and really watch what people buy still grabbing the JP Wise yeah, the, the, the comfort, shelf and yeah it, it's comfort it's known uh, and it's very easy light drinking whiskey and that's what Canadian whiskey is, and there's nothing wrong with that uh, I mean I live in Windsor Ontario on a hot day when I'm sitting beside my pool uh, I'm, I'm going to have a Wise of and Ginger Ale and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong everything's about occasion as, as you know you probably know more of the soul than the <laughs> so uh, since you became Master Blender um, you've really ramped up the re-release of a lot of a lot, a lot of things. Like, what was Lot 40 out before you became Master Blender? I worked on Lot 40 before I became the Master Blender. I was the, the blender working for the Master Blender. I remember working on it in 1998. Um, it, it failed, to be honest with you, in 1998. Um, the first time we, we released it. Um, and just consumers weren't ready. People weren't ready for 100% rye whiskeys. The, the consumers were probably looking more so for single malts, and, and Irish whiskey was starting to make a little bit of a comeback in the, in the 90s, and it was, just was not the timing. Uh, fast forward to 2012, we re-released it. That's the year I became the Master Blender. Um, I made a couple of changes to the original recipe. Uh, I moved it over into brand new oak, because that's what I did my PhD on, is how wood interacts with whiskey. Um, I Over the years, I took out some of the malt, Malt gives you a um, what it's called dimethyl sulfide, a, ve- a vegetable note to your whiskey. Uh, so I took out the malt, and the year I did that was the year we won the uh, first time the Canadian Whiskey of the Year. That brand. 
Um, so I think we've done a number of things right, and there's a couple more tweaks. I'm actually looking at moving it over to a very specific variety of rye. Okay. A for consistency. Rye is a little bit of a challenge when it comes to fermenting and distilling it. Um, and B, I'm looking for more spiciness. So to getting into a very specific hybrid of rye is new territory. Wow. And I don't know when the cutoff date will be. Eventually, in a year or two from now, all the, all the Lot 40 will be made using uh, Brissetto rye. It's a rye that has come out of Germany. Oh, wow. We'll be caught, get our farmers to contract grow it. So when you when you start talking about like different styles of rye, do you bring in sample batches, do a little fermentation, do a little distillation, and sort of see how it reacts? Initially, when we looked at using Brissetto, the first time well, what, you, I have a little pilot to do that with, and ever since then, oh yeah, we, we turn the light, let's go for it, and, uh, and, and it's just been more consistency getting out of it. I find a lot of rye out there. People, I know there's a lot of misinformation that people. Oh, I, I want a nice dill note in my rye. Dill is not coming from rye. Yeah. It's coming from a bacterial infection. And the fermented bacteria will make that dilly note in your whiskey. And a lot of people that have rye whiskeys, um, I don't know whether they intentionally want it or their fermentation's out of control. So that's another thing I've kind of been working through this with this new uh, variety of rye. We've now actually seen losing the dill note, which is good. Yeah. That's what I want to do because I want to make proper rye spicy whiskey. And, uh, so some of those changes. I mean, don't stand still is yeah. my is my point here. I've seen how many skews you create on a regular yeah. basis. <laughs> I, um, no, but even if it's just subtle changes, a little bit in the liquid and the juice kind of thing, I'm always trying to make it the better. Minutiaous. If the day I stand still is the day somebody's going to pass. Ask Polaroid about that. Wow. <laughs> right? You, you want to make changes and, and for the better and you're always don't, don't be as soon as you're static, I mean, that's when you're going to be passed. That, that's my mindset. Well, you must be, I'd love to work with that. I, I, that's the same way I look at things. And some people think I'm crazy. So, well, maybe some people think I'm crazy as well. But I, I think we're offering great quality products. Like we went, for example, the Pike Creek 21 year won the uh, Canadian Whiskey of the Year this year. Uh, that was I mean, the Oloroso. That was the Oloroso. Yeah, and I mean that's changing and playing around with, with certain things. How does Pike Creek? I think, I think Pike Creek's underrated as one as one of your brands. I think as one of the, the, the you lines. I think I've always loved Pike Creeks. I think I've done the I've done the port cask in the back in the day, I've done the rum cask, and then I haven't done the. I think I did actually. I think I did the Oloroso with Colin last year. But I've always thought that the Pike Creek. It's a fun brand to work with. It's all about super finishing. underrated brand. It's it's all about finishing, and uh, I was a little bit shocked that one won the Canadian Whiskey of the Year. Usually the rye bombs win, but uh, all the cast strengths two years ago, cast strengths something yeah. like that. But uh, I gotta I gotta give kudos to Dav and he changed up the judges every year yeah. and with the set of judges this year certainly probably gravitated to cast finished uh, whiskeys and and it's a beautiful beautiful smooth whiskey I'd encourage your audience uh, there's bottles still left out uh, in the marketplace and we only launched as a rare release 300 cases of it so good luck finding a bottle I don't know when your this is being aired well, I, find, I find also like uh, Canadian whiskeys always bang for your buck price point wise as well absolutely well 21 year old scotch when you're going to pay Exactly. I mean, twenty-one-year-old uh, uh, Pike Creek is sits probably around the 80, 80, 90 dollars mark. Ridiculous. Yeah. I do love how Davin does the Canadian Whiskey Awards because every year you do sort of see trends from both sides. You see a 
trend from the distillers about what they put in to be judged and then you see a trend from the judges about what people are liking that year like two years ago I think I did it and the amount of cars strength whiskeys I had to taste was insane and as a judge you have to really pace yourself on days like that because you're like I'm just, you always get set you always get your glasses out you line everything up and then all of a sudden you go okay what's this and you look at the spreadsheet it's like car strength car strength car strength car strength and you're like oh man okay well I'm going to do five of these instead of the usual ten well you do ten cream liqueurs one day or ten maple flavored liqueurs the other the next day I, I, I don't know how you did I think there was 113 entrants this yeah. year so you got to pace yourself and then just try and figure out how you're going to ruin your palate on a daily basis yeah, I mean Pike Creek's a brand that I set ourselves up for success I've got uh, uh, this year I'm going to do uh, Dr. Don's experimental series nice uh, in about two hours from now <laughs> Uh, yeah. I was lucky enough that I got to taste your PhD whiskey back in the day. Back in the day, yeah. It launched this dissertation. Now people scramble to find uh, bottles of it. There's, there's none left. There's absolutely none left. But uh, I'm going to show a Fight Creek finish in a PX cask, which I actually like a little bit better than the Oloroso cask. Yeah, it's it's a little bit more flavor and more complexity, I find, than the PX cask. So, and the Fight Creek seems to have a nice backbone that just picks up whatever you finish it in, that it just holds it without Itself. Beautiful. It, 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 I agree. I can't agree more with, with that brand. It's a fun one to play with, and, uh, and without divulging a lot, I, I got a whole lineup of things that I finished in. Whether it'll eventually make its way into Pike Creek or some other brand somewhere else, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Um, the other one that surprised me a little bit that did well and got a gold medal this year was the J.P. Weiser's uh, Seven Rebels. It's a BC exclusive only. Uh, where we're actually playing with uh, inserts inside a cast. It's like Maker's Mark 46. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and we work with a barrel company that has the, um, the scientific knowledge to make the whiskey give a smoky and a spicy impression by the way they burn the barrels. Okay. So we released it. We worked with the uh, Adele at the uh, BCLS. Uh, she came to our distillery. I lined up a hundred different samples and they she blended their whiskeys. You think this is for the taste profile British Columbia? Uh, we released it Whiskey Week, uh, November 2019. And from what I can tell, the initial it's it's been very well received inside the British Columbia market. I mean, it, it was uh, being served at the awards the other night. People, what is this? This is uh, fantastic, and I want to go. I mean, it's, wow. it's incredible what we can do with with whiskeys today and the flavors you can bring in. So, what are you excited about for this year? Uh, we're going to release an interesting one. I'm also going to be tasting out this afternoon as well. Um, Pipe Creek, 15 here, that's been aged in a Canadian wine cask. Okay. So we're working with the, uh, our sister company with Corby, it's Corn Affairs, they're based out of the Niagara region. Um, they make some fantastic wines, and when a master uh, blender and a winemaker get together, that's dangerous. Oh, it's just geek, geek city, right? <laughs> it is geek city. Uh, so Barkley Robinson's a wine maker for there. He came and, and visited me. And he said, well, Don, why don't we do a swap of barrels? Okay, I said, give me some of your wine barrels. And uh, uh, he gave me some of my whiskey barrels, both some rye and some and light whiskey. And he made me develop the wine with it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then the whiskey. So we're going to launch them together. Nice. We're going to launch the two pair by pair Father's Day uh, 2020 as a interesting release. So you can buy the bottle of wine, you can buy the uh, uh, bottle of whiskey. And it's and we did a tasting together, which was fantastic. I've never done a tasting with a winemaker before. And uh, it was fantastic. And it's a very, very nice whiskey work. So that's 
coming coming up to, uh, uh, as that as well. I'm, I'm a huge. I've always been a huge fan of wine finished whiskeys, and lucky so, enough here in BC because we're in BC, yeah, like the, the amount of great wine casts that are floating around that are cheap or free, like it's insane. Yeah. So, but to, to have that experiment side by side, mm-hmm. it's kind of a cool concept. Yeah, just to see how the wine reacts to the barrel because you always have to be concerned like one flavor is going to overpower the other flavor and so on and so forth. Yeah, I know he did his blending, and I certainly did my blending, and we, we wanted to make sure it, it, it landed in a good place. And from the initial tastings that we've done with it, it's it's fantastic. I'm very curious how people will receive it this afternoon here, but I, from the ones we've done before, it's, uh, it's very very delicious actually. And how's your travel schedule? Because I find I, I know that since you became master blender, your traveling has been uh, non-stop, even well, with not as, not as bad as our ambassadors, because I can pick and choose, yeah. and I do. I mean, I'm I'm trying. We we often always go back and circle back. Is it worth going to this event? Is it not worth going? Is it? Do we hit this event every five years, or do we hit it every three years? I want to talk to many consumers as I possibly can. I think that's one of the things some blenders and distillers fail at is they don't talk and listen to their audience. And I think that's also so it goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning about like the internet, transparency, social media. Like if people don't see the master blender or someone who can speak like a master blender, then you're sort of losing before you even get started. Well, and I get to talk to, to folks like you that are professionals in the industry and you're, you're telling me the trends you're seeing at bars, you're telling me the trends you're seeing at cocktails. Okay, so I'm I'm processing that information. It's okay, what whiskeys or I'm in charge of gins and vodkas and rums as well. Is this, what do we need to, to work on? What's one year, five year, ten years look like? And you got Dave, who's a workhorse. Yeah, Dave. I mean, he travels more than more than I do, but uh, certainly every time we get together, we are having the conversation like you and I are now. I say, well, what trends are you seeing? Where were you at? What it even comes down to geographic location. What were they drinking in New York? And he, Dave's in San Antonio right now. Yeah. Were they drinking in San Antonio? And I know their taste palettes are totally different. Yeah, it's a good thing to always be changing it up. Um, well, I think that you've got a busy day ahead. I yeah. think that was a that was kind of an epic episode, so I don't want to keep you too long. Okay, no, perfect. And yeah, I could. Oh, well, I think we both could talk all day long, but <laughs> you see my voice for today. <laughs> I get two master classes in the whole whiskey festival tonight. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm I, I'm always mentally exhausted by the time I finish talking for the day. Yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, no, it's uh, it's a pleasure certainly catching up with you. It's been a while. Yeah, I wish I had more time. I wish you had more time. It would be perfect. Yeah. But thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Thanks, Poo Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, if you're listening, whatever platform you're on, give me a good rating, subscribe, listen along. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I really enjoy sitting down with people and learning where they're from, what they did, and how they got to where they were. So if you love it, give me a good five stars. If you don't, give me one and I'll try harder.